Hello everyone, welcome to episode three of the MK Active podcast. I really hope you, everyone enjoyed the last episode chatting to Natalie and Chris about their injuries and the journey they went on. So obviously, as everyone knows, this podcast we're going to be chatting about pain in the ball of the foot. Um, and it's commonly sometimes people heard it, it's called metatarsalgia. algia. So we're obviously joined this month by Charlie again. Hello. And then Natalie. And so pain in the ball of the foot, just to get a brief overview as it were, people often get it gets called metatarsalgia or people will say I've been diagnosed with metatarsalgia. So sort of just to try and set the record straight as it were. The metatarsalgia is not really a diagnosis. Um, it's just a descriptive term for pain in the ball of the foot. And as you'll then sort of see throughout this podcast is that there are different reasons. And today we'll just cover some of the most common um, reasons that we see in clinic of why you can get that pain in the ball of your foot. And we'll then try and then give you some self-help and self-tip advice on what you can do. So, Charlie, let's first chat about Mawson neuroma and I sort of come to you because you may have done a small bit of work called a PhD that's yeah so I've had this uh been studying the condition for about seven years now um and what we think Mawson's neuroma is, is is a development of nerve tissue so it's a thickening of that nerve tissue in between the toes um, and classically patients often report pain such as a numbness tingling or burning sensation and um, the reason why it happens is we're not really sure um but what it does tend to do is stop people from doing their activities and it's that internal worry of knowing what it is and how to manage it um, and so I guess our job as podiatrists is to diagnose and guide patients through that that thinking and process. So if we were trying to describe the main symptoms that when someone fills in our pre-assessment questionnaire or they phone up and they say, what sort of symptoms are you expecting people to say when they've come in with that neuroma? They usually feel like something's in the in between their toes, uh, sometimes a tingling sensation that might be in the ball of their foot or going radiating kind of up into the toes. Um, people often find there's some numbness and it's sometimes triggered by doing sport or activities such as running um, where we're kind of overloading the forefoot area. Yeah. And then with regards to treatments, how would we, one would want to try and manage so you kind of have conservative, um, which is kind of changing footwear. So having a wider, deeper fitting shoe that kind of accommodates the toes and make sure that they're not kind of compressing them in any way that could trigger that nerve type pain. Um, the second option will be using something like an orthotic. Um, and so using the orthotic to help with foot function, but then to offload that structure. So we use something called a Met Dome um, that sits underneath the toes that just kind of provides a little bit more space, a little bit more room um, for the person to, to move and their soft tissues kind of move a little bit more freely than being restricted. Um, we then have, it goes a bit more, I guess, kind of surgical in terms of then going towards a steroid injection. So that's then um, placing a steroid into the tissues. And the idea being is that we um, reduce some of that inflammatory response um, and that you're starting to shrink the surrounding tissues. So again, you're creating a bit more room so that tissues are able to move freely. Uh, and then the third option is then surgery. So that's then uh, removing that additional thickened tissue. Um, again, by removing it, the idea is, is then that the foot is able to move and function a bit better. But then the issue is if you remove that that section of nerve, you're then sort of then left with 
and yeah. numbed it in between your toes, aren't you? Yeah, so you can get something called a stump neuroma, which is just a really clever way the body goes, oh, a bit of nerve tissue's uh, gone. What I'm going to do is um, respond by presenting something called a nerve growth factor, um, which then starts the nerves to kind of regenerate, really, and they start to regenerate in that area. And we know that within 20% of the population who have a neuroma, um, you're at risk of redeveloping this when you have surgery. And you have can have exactly the same experience as you did the first time around, or sometimes they can be more severe so it's something to consider if you're going forward for surgery and that's one thing i i, I like about neuromas because i believe that sort of that treatment pathway is quite clear i.e from our perspective it's make sure the footwear's suitable and fits correctly try an orthoses or just a metatarsal dome and if that doesn't work then injections and then possible surgery. So it's quite a nice definitive plan and pathway um in place and so that's one thing i think we 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 could we can offer people here is a if people will share the links in the um comments and, and whatnot but we've actually put together sort of a a little video on how to actually put a metatarsal dome in the right place and a little box that um people can get a hold of from our website about what a morton's neuroma is affected because i think that metatarsal dome placement is quite is quite key um if it's too far back then it's um, not going to do what we want it. Yeah, and uh, I think it's having that reassurance, isn't it? It's making sure that you know what you think you've got, that you've got ways to manage it, and that you know what your options are moving forward. So if we have a chat about footwear, what types of footwear would sort of, do we tend to see that aggravates someone who has a neuroma? Uh, so something with a heel tends to, because we're going to be overloading the forefoot, something like a court shoe where it's quite narrow in the, the toe area that kind of um, brings and kind of compresses the forefoot. So it's all really the pretty shoes that girls and women and men love to wear. <laughs> that unfortunately so, aggravates yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, sometimes some of the brogue styles as well. So the ones that come into kind of more of a pointed tapered edge can sometimes be... Um, yeah, can create recreate those symptoms. But we're not saying you can never ever wear those. It's just if you got any aroma type symptoms, you, there's a risk that you're going to aggravate it by. Yeah, and I think it's knowing what you're going to use the footwear for the right activity. So there'll be certain activities if you know that you're spending a significant period of time on your feet that you are wearing the right footwear to to live and work with it. Yeah, I think that's pretty sensible. So now let's move on to almost a sort of a it's, by mistake it's become a sort of quite a pet topic of mine isn't it and plantar plate injuries and Natalie a minute can chat about the rehab behind it because she's most probably one of the only sports therapists out there that can feel quite confident in rehabbing a plantar plate injury because personally in clinic it is the most common condition that I actually see um and as you well know from episode two that's where obviously Chris came on and that's the injury he had was that plantar plate injury and it's something that I think is massively overlooked and it is actually most probably the most common cause of pain underneath the second toe so the second toe is the most commonly affected uh, joint Chris I think was under his third or fourth so not as yeah. third so not as common but still theoretically possible and the plantar plate is essentially a, a small structure that basically attaches your metatarsal so that long toe bone for everyone that's sort of old enough to remember that sort of Beckham boot and there's a bone David Beckham fractures and then went in that air cast boot, um, then basically then attaches to the toe. And effectively, anything that means trying to prevent the toes from 
sort of bending upwards, any sort of bending upwards motion of the toes is what's then going to aggravate that plantar plate. And you'll typically pre come in presenting with like feeling like you're walking on a pebble or you're getting this constant ache. And then when you then think about it, symptoms will be worse on long periods of standing or when you're walking up the stairs or you're pushing off. So you're really starting to bend those toes upwards. And luckily for us in, in clinic, we know that actually you can reliably diagnose these without having to refer off for lots of imaging, which is actually quite helpful. And the other ways that you'll notice is that you often quite find that in the chronic injuries, there won't be a, a sudden onset, that it will be building up over time. Um, but you can get acute ruptures of the plantar plate, but that always come after a period of, of jumping around. So being on the south coast here, the majority of times we see a plantar plate rupture is people jumping off boats onto a jetty or something like that in their, in their sort of boat shoes, as it were, that then come back and say, I've done that, I felt a pop, my foot swollen up underneath my second toe, and you think, okay, this is a plantar plate rupture. But without just the conservative overload issues that we got then, from a rehab perspective, Natalie, what are we looking at trying to do to achieve to try and help make these slightly better? Um, so yeah, the rehabilitation, sort of typically we start to focus on strengthening the ankle um, and also the toes as well. So um, we concentrate on the lesser toes, so the second and third toe especially, um, wrapping the therabands around. So in clinic we use um, different colours of therabands, which is the different resistances. So usually we start a patient a yellow, um, which is the easiest resistance. And then for them to see their own progression, for us to see strength gaining in that um, limb, we take them all the way through to sort of the black band, which is the hardest. Um, and we we know that we've gained sort of maximal strength in that area. And then once we then obviously then built up the strength in the toe, doing sort of those toe flexion and working on the foot intrinsics, then what sort of then do we then look at moving people on to doing? Um, so we go more proximal. So we concentrate on um, sort of the hip strength, core strength, um, you know, thigh, hamstring strength. Um, and then we sort of go from there, really. And I think the other thing that we'll then look at also doing is getting actually people to actually go up on their tiptoes and do calf raises. Um, th th there are some people out there who think, actually, if you've got a plantar plate injury, you can't go on and do sort of calf raises because that's going to aggravate the problem. But our philosophy is here, well, if you're a runner or you like your rambling, you're walking, for example... Well, in every step you take, you effectively then do that going up on your tiptoe. So we need to get you back ready to do that activity. Definitely. That and I think that was one thing that Chris, um, in the episode previously, he struggled with calf raises. Um, and we started doing seated calf raises. So literally legs at 90 degrees, raising the heels off the floor, adding weights, and then getting to standing raises as long as it's all pain-free. Um, and that's sort of been the most beneficial throughout the patients that I've seen, especially um, and it's given the confidence to feel that they have that strength in the toes and it's not going to cause any pain. And then, uh, Charlie, from an orthosis perspective or an insole um, perspective, what can we look at doing to try and sort of help out with these? So with these guys, you don't really want to be blocking the movement because you're going to start to irritate. So we'll use something like um, a U-shaped cutout that we'd want to make sure allows the metatarsal to drop down into that space when we're doing, uh, when the foot's going through its movements. Um, we may even start to think about something like um, a metatarsal bar or a dome to be able to just then support the forefoot structure. And then what's the important bit with regards to that sort of that U-cutout 
what the mistake that some people make with that? Most people tend to put it too far proximally. So it's making sure that it, it's situated in the right place where it's um, just before where the metatarsal head sits. So it gives that complete free range of motion. Yeah. So we're aiming just to the toe, just to be able to drop down. Because the issue is if you put that cut out too far back, you actually then encourage the toes to bend upwards, which then could then in turn aggravate the problem, not make it make it better. The other thing that you um, can also try can be really helpful is actually that taping the toes um, as well. I sort of call it sort of the breast cancer ribbon sign, as it were. Um, so you're taping that toe down just to try and offload it and try and reduce the symptoms. And that can be really helpful sort of a get out of jail. Yeah. Um, I would say definitely for a first couple of weeks, it just allows everything to calm down, break that cycle of inflammation, um, and then just allows, I guess, Natalie to work on the rehab beautifully. Yeah, and I think that's what I found as well. We've put the tape on and it's already given them sort of a sense of relief and then they're confident to do the exercises. And then, like you say, a few weeks down the line, we take the tape off because we, you know, we say it's not a long-term fix, it's short-term while we get the strength there and then sort of the strength takes over that tape. And footwear-wise... What's my particular favourite shoe? The Carbon um, X of the Hokers. Um, so that's Chris's favourite shoe. And I've never seen him so happy, to be honest. As soon <laughs> as he put the shoe on, it was like, he was walking around, it was like, you know, the pain's sort of gone. So, and we've, you know, prescribed a few patients with them and they've absolutely loved them. Um, yeah, really, really good shoe. And the reason behind that, so the Hoka Carbon X is a carbon plated shoe with a rocker. So that means it's got, if you look at it from the side on, the front of the shoe sort of lips up as it were, and it's, it's completely rigid. So then as you then go to push off, the toes can't bend up. So then you then reduce the risk of then aggravating and flaring up that, that plantar plate um, as it were. And this is why people find that shoe really helpful. Before the Hoka Carbon X came out, um, I always just used to, we used to give people carbon linings, um, but now the Hoka Carbon X has come, we haven't actually used that um, as much. And the interesting thing about managing these um, conservatively is that actually when you actually look at the literature from our viewpoint, there isn't actually any sort of guidance out there. There are a couple of papers and that's it, but everyone talks about operating on these. Um, so what we're hoping here to do at NK Active is we've got a nice case series of people that have gone through the journey back to the activity. So we can then possibly start trying to add to the literature so we can start sort of saying that this is what we do these are the results that we're getting with it so then that means that it can then help educate other colleagues to then try and help people who can't get to us um, manage these slightly better so let's now move on to the subject of bunions um charlie what is a bunion so a bunion is where the big toe joint has decided to deviate or move and it usually deviates into the lesser toes um, and then it creates this kind of bump or lump on the side of the foot um, with that usually ends with kind of reduced mobility, pain, discomfort. Um, so, yeah. And is there any things that could be done that could aggravate or increase the risk of that bunion developing? So there is evidence to to suggest that if you have an inflammatory condition, so something like your um, arthritis, that you're more at risk of having um, bunions, hereditary, so looking at family, um, can also give you an indication. Um, footwear has been uh, applying those uh, additional forefoot loads, so a higher um, heeled shoe can put your forefoot at risk of, of those structures becoming exacerbated and then soft tissue and bone changes consequently. Um, and then... 
I guess just natural injury. If you are to trip, slip, fall, and do something with the big toe, then you've uh, changed that structure, integrity, and then over time, it changes. So then one of the things we get asked about a lot are splints. Ah, the <laughs> toe splints. The toe splints. <laughs> what are your views <clears throat> on, on toe splints? So the forces that go through the, the big toe are huge. And sadly, splints aren't strong enough to cope with that demand. Um, so actually, they're probably not doing very much. Although there is this idea that they may have what we call a placebo effect. So for 40% of the of people who use them, they'll see that there's an internal benefit. And that's just a, a perception. And if that works for people, then that's great. But... I guess the scientist part of my brain goes, they're not changing any tissues. It's not changing the structure of the foot in any way. It's just maybe offering short-term relief. Yeah, no, I can 100% agree. And then the other thing is, um, do you think there's a role for foot orthoses with regards to bunions or not? Yeah, it depends on the severity. So if you have a fairly functional mobile foot, then I think the use of orthosis can be of benefit to helping that, that foot load a little bit better. Um, I think if we're at the more latter stages of um, having bunions where the, the deformity is more rigid, um, then I think it's more going down that kind of conservative look of how to make you comfortable and how to manage your pain. But we're not looking at orthosis to try and say we want to give some some insole, so slow the progression down or reduce the risk of getting one in the first place no the progression will just happen it's more about managing pain we won't change the foot shape so the foot shape is the foot shape so i think that's also to bear in mind is that orthosis won't naturally change the shape of your foot it can just mean doing the activities or things that you love can become a bit more doable achievable or easier yeah and then with regards to exercises okay we know there's limited evidence out there suggesting that by doing exercises will slow the rate of progression or stop. But in general, sort of what exercises could people be doing around sort of their toe just to try and make it as strong as, as possible? Yeah, so um, sort of big toe flexion extension, yeah. the lesser toes flexion, ex flexion extension. Uh, we can do ankle inversion, ankle eversion. Uh, plantar flexion, dorsiflexion, so that sort of up-down movement of the foot, yeah. um, and then going sort of more proximal to calf raises, and then also balance work as well. So um, starting on the floor, then adding a towel underneath, closing your eyes, wobble cushion, and making it harder sort of each time, and then again working proximally to that sort of hip core. Yeah, no, and I think that's that that is really important because okay, we're not looking to change the deformity doing that, but it may be quite helpful in managing those those symptoms and and pain and whatnot so another common one that we then see in clinic is intermetatarsal bursitis um so did you want to have a chat about that charlie and what that is yes yeah, so this is like a fluid filled sac that sits in between the toes i always think of it like a car they're like the shock absorbers so as we're loading and offloading the foot these guys just sit there and stabilize the other tissues around it if the for whatever reason a joint is being overused these guys will inflate um to try and add, add a bit more kind of um, shock absorption and that's when we get the permanency of them being inflamed is what we call a bursitis and then 
Do we think it's possible that you could have more than one condition coexisting at once? Most definitely. So I don't know whether it's just the nature of our clinic where we uh, naturally get people with more pathologies that kind of coexist. Um, but through the research that I'm doing at the university, it's, it's becoming more likely that pathologies just coexist. They're all anatomical structures that are there within your foot. And it makes sense that if you're aggravating one structure, that you're probably going to aggravate others in that process. Um, so a lot of what the rehabilitation does um, is being able to uh, let those structures learn to rework together again. Um, and that those that may have switched off or aren't working correctly can gain that control and strength. And then those that maybe have been working too hard are then able to then do the jobs that they were initially designed to do. And then, Natalie, from an, an exercise perspective, okay, we can't do an exercise to um, reduce the size of that intermetatarsal bursitis. But again, is there, would you sort of agree that the exercises you would then look at doing for that compared with trying to strengthen up the foot in general? Is, is there anything else that you would add in? Or would you say, actually, no, just by doing those simple toe flexion exercises and the sort of working on the foot intrinsics, that should be perfectly adequate? I think so, yeah, um, especially sort of the foot intrinsics. So um, sort of bringing your toes if you're going to curl them up but not curl them completely because um, that sort of works those sort of the top of the foot muscles underneath as well. And yeah, I think I've seen a lot of patients with the that um with bursitis and they've all benefited from the same sort of procedure of that ankle strength foot foot strength um and yeah it sort of progressed that way well, it just fits in the whole ream of of here and to just getting people fitter and definitely and, and i think as well sort of the older population um you know we start them off with ankle exercises to help their pain and then by the end of it they're squatting they're doing lunges and they they can actually do a lot more um, functional stuff outside of the clinic so they're you know they're going on more walks and they're enjoying it and they're picking up different sports because of it so it sort of gives people a new lease of life as well able to work those different limbs and I think with that there's also lots of evidence supporting by working on things like especially in the older population is reducing the risk of people falling over um, as well because I think it, we could in this country have a big issue with later on with an increased risk of falls with the um the older generation so then if we then sorry you better say i was just saying i think it's just it just shows you how complicated the forefoot is and that's probably why the umbrella term mestars elder came about because actually there's lots of things going on there's lots of interventions i guess here it's we're trying to document which ones we should implement and then at what stage and so yeah for your bursitis neuroma and your bunions it is a combination of rehabilitation orthosis footwear yeah and self-care and then that's what we think. And then obviously then you can then go into the realms of in, injections and, and surgery. But then that's when we look at referring onwards, especially for that, that surgery bit. But as you sort of say, it is a complex area. Like that's just four conditions we briefly brushed over from there are loads, plenty more things that can cause pain in the ball of your foot. And you think the ball of your foot is a, quite a small thing in relative to your whole size of your body. And you're sort of thinking it's a, it's a complex structure. But... We're biased. We're going to say that because we deal with foot problems day in, day out. Um, so then thinking about the conditions going back to sort of that neuroma, if there was sort of three tips you could give someone to try and what to do if they think they've got one or how to try and self-manage it, what would that be? 
I think it would be first of all looking at the type of footwear that you've got. So not saying that you don't have to wear the shoes that maybe aggravate it, but look at how often you're wearing them and for how long for. Um, so sometimes it can just be that you're wearing them three consecutive days in a row and that's where it's becoming uncomfortable. So maybe only just wearing them for two days makes life a bit more easier. Um, probably secondly looking at the type of shoes that you are wearing so um, I always think a really lovely thing to do is to draw around the sole of the shoe and then draw around your own foot on top of it and does your shoe does your foot actually fit into that shoe it's amazing how many people squeeze their feet in shoes and I, I <laughs> love that because it's amazing how many people think their shoes fit however then when they do that and they think it's almost just like a light bulb moment because they see it and they sort my foot is spilling over the side of this template. Obviously, and then the shoe's going to compress and then obviously aggravate this enlarged nerve, this neuroma. So then almost like the penny drops as, as it as it were. Um, so then, was that two or three? I can't That's remember. That's two. And yeah, I guess third. the third one is probably trying uh, the Met Dome. So placing that in a pair of shoes, you don't need anything overcomplicated. It is a, a little dome foam shape that you can slot into shoes. And I think that's a really good way to know whether you would be amenable to, to maybe having a, a orthotic longer term to help ease those symptoms. So then if I was then plant a plate, if I was thinking about three things, um, for me, it is really focusing on those those symptoms of the ache it may swell slightly walking on a pebble and it hurts as you push off that's for me quite the telltale signs um and then if you think you then go on it's then working on starting to build up that strength within the toes and then it's again just a metatarsal dome can be can be helpful just to try and offload that area along with some taping at the same time um bunions three tips for those so managing those uh, probably a shoe with a bit of a rocker so similar to those with plantar plate having something that allows you to propel a little bit more forward so them in kind of a walking style shoe is usually quite good if that's where you want to get the activity and the duration of activity to continue yeah um and then there's a I'm, forgive i'm going to pronounce it right it's handwag is a boot there's a um there's a boot that they call it their bunion walking boots and it's basically a boot that's just it's seamless around this is like a bit of i think it's neoprene type material that is sort of soft around that bunion region so then nothing nothing then rubs um yeah. i guess it's finding footwear where the material conforms slightly to your foot shape i think that's really helpful so that you're not then not doing activity because i think that's a frustration a lot of our patients say is that they're having to stop the activity because they can't find footwear um, so, yeah, finding footwear that works for you. Yeah, and final tip for bunions? Oh, I think it's about not um, to go fact-finding about what the long-term effect of maybe going down the surgical route is, so making sure that you're really well-informed to be able to go and make those decisions um, and that it's okay to go down that surgery route. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just making sure that in your head you've ticked all the right boxes for you to feel confident to do that. No, well, definitely because surgery is a is a perfectly plausible treatment plan for bunions because that's the only true way you're actually going to physically resolve anything we do conservative isn't going to resolve it. It's, it's a it's a bony shift, it's a bony change, a bony deformity. So we we're not going to change the physical appearance of that conservatively at all. Um, so going down that surgical route with your orthopedic or podiatric surgeon is still a a perfectly viable treatment option, isn't it? Yeah. Same. 
And then finally, um, we won't do three top things of bursitis because they're going to be very similar to what you then say for neuroma. But then sort of bringing things to an end, your three sort of top foot exercises as they were for people? Um, probably ankle inversion, eversion. Um, so the amount of people where I actually do the ankle inversion, eversion with the, with them and they're like, I didn't realise, you know, I use these muscles. So um, that's probably one of my most popular ones. Yeah. Um, just because it gives more people sort of a, a more stable feeling in the ankle um, and especially when we can actually show them the progress with the different colour bands. Um, the second one will probably, probably be the lesser toe flexions um again that's a great one to work the top of the foot muscles going into the sort of the flexion and extension and probably my third one is probably calf raises um i think it's such a fundamental movement that everyone actually does in a day-to-day activity um and it's definitely one sort of having the your top three exercises perfect so i think we can one second make sure i've covered all of my notes i have a memory span of a goldfish so let's have a look yeah no that's all my notes covered ticked off so i think we can then look at bringing that to an end so once again thank you natalie thank you charlie for coming on hopefully that was really useful um for people um next month um unfortunately natalie and charlie will not be on the next episode um we're gonna have caroline french from french and sons and dawn taylor from alexandra sports Um, coming down chatting all things sort of running athletic footwear and days to days and anyone sort of in that Southampton area you would have heard of Alexandra Sports and I got my first set of ever running shoes from there and French Sons is almost like a local historic place within Southampton that's where my children got their first shoes from as well when you speak to patients you sort of say my daughter got her first shoes from there I got my first shoes from there and then my granddad actually took me to get my and it's sort of you can hear there's that long heritage so we can chat all things footwear about what's coming up and latest technologies and and everything and different shoes to help with different conditions so don't forget to obviously subscribe to the podcast we are on all your standard sort of podcast channels um, and don't forget to like and sort of share the video and subscribe to our youtube channel as well really hope you enjoyed the episode if you've got any questions comments feedback or anything you want us to chat about in future episodes please do let us know otherwise we shall see you on episode four take care